You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. so much for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Horse's Eyes. I am always your humble host, Ryan. Today we have a great episode lined up. We are joined by Flo Smorgoner and Jess Rice. And we talk about everything from picking the perfect lesson plan horse to what we like to see in a student, where particular industries are going as far as breeding goes, and have a little bit of laughs uh, about a particular breed that one of our other co-hosts on the round table absolutely loves. And it's all tongue-in-cheek, and we mean nothing by it. Hannah. So with that said, let's go ahead and kick it off with Jess and Flo on what might be one of my favorite set-downs I've ever had with two horse people. <laughs> And we are with Flo Smorgoner and Jessamine Rice. I have been trying to get you two together forever, and it finally come, and I think Jessamine did it. I'm excited. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be so much fun. Because you two are like polar opposites in what you look for in a horse. Mm, yes and no. You say that. I, I just, I've already talked to Flo. <laughs> I don't think the horse we're looking for is polar opposites, but what we do with them. Completely. The end result is complete polar opposites. True. But I think the actual horse most of the time is going to be extremely similar. So what you're saying is, is you're looking for the next off the track thoroughbred bill bedhead. Yes. If there's one out there, I really want one. I haven't had a dull deadhead yet. I would love to have that experience. See, I had one. I had an off-the-track thoroughbred that was a dull deadhead. They, they called him Chevy. He was like 16 hands and some change, massive boy, and his only speed was a walk. That sounds I had like... one in high school. I had an off-the-track thoroughbred deadhead that I rode in high school. I bought, me and my husband ended up buying one. Um, it was a three-year-old off the tracker that i think his highest speed rating was like 63 it was just abysmal he never raced and i remember i got on him and he did not go forward and then one day he decided how about bucking and i was like (laughs) lazy and reactive i love it heck yeah well you you know you could have had a life as a bronc he probably could have uh one day i was in the round pen sorry i had to tell this one and I was lunging him, and I stepped in front of him to get him to change directions. Bless this horse, he wasn't the smartest thing in the world. 
and he didn't see me till the last minute and this thing got so low and I was like is this the quarter horse that's cowbred I mean his elbows <laughs> touched the sand to get out of my way and I looked at my friend and I go you think someone will want him for cows and she goes maybe like there we go did he give you that nice gurgling snort he did he and he did the gelding like oh <laughs> that has a name and, and i forget the name of it that gurgling snort when they're scared i forget what it's called i actually learned that that actual sound has a name today i don't it, think i'm gonna i don't think i'm gonna google gurgling snort though that that could lead you down a rabbit hole you don't want to be i would not google that <laughs> now we were talking about okinawa earlier and that can also lead you down a rabbit hole you don't want to be <laughs> that's that's very accurate uh, you know, you, you yeah, I, we'll we'll save that for the uh, for the the roundtable episode when when we'll, that has the explicit rating because it, it's going to be <laughs> so. So for those that haven't caught any episodes in the past, um, how about you guys tell us a little bit about yourself, Flo? Since you're on the, we'll go left or right on my screen, so you come up first. So Flo, if you want to go first, sure. Um... So I just a little bit about me. I started um, in the hunter jumper worlds. I started with the pony hunters. After graduating from pony hunters, I went and did um, the big X for a while. And then I graduated to the jumper ring where I finished off showing in the meter 20s. Um, after I finished showing as an 18 year old, I actually joined the military and took a few years off of riding and slowly but surely started collecting off the track thoroughbreds figured out I'm pretty good at uh getting them to be a good amateur horse um and I bounce really well still so I figured it was a good thing for me to do and now that's pretty much all I do is find horses that were too slow or they spent their time on the track and hopefully turning them into something that someone can go and enjoy for a long time I love how you put that in. Started collecting because that's um, that, that's usually how people end up with off the track thoroughbreds. You don't go buy them, you don't acquire them, you collect them. Oh, hundred percent. All of a sudden, my husband would come to the barn and he goes, "Is that one of ours?" And I was like, "Yeah, but it's always been there." No, it wasn't. Mm-mm. Oh, that so one was new. Not- so you're the you're the reason we have those memes. Oh yes, the, the new horse memes. Okay. They were all bay or chestnut, and he never really found out how many I had at one point. Just well, he doesn't know won't kill him. It's exactly. Fine. I told him one of them was his, and then he was happy. I go, there we go. That's the tr- that's the trick. Just tell one his one of them is his. And then Do, he walked- does your husband ride at all, Flo? I started teaching him lessons. I'm a little disgusted because after his eighth lesson, he was jumping, and in beautiful form. And uh, so I told him he's not allowed to ride anymore. That was it. <laughs> Done. Flo thinks she's going to get me out there one day and teach me how to jump. Oh, you! Oh, it's happening. Oh, 100%. I've heard like, you ask. I've heard you ask for her to teach you, Ryan. Don't act like you don't act like you're not excited. There, there was no ask in this. It was, hey, I'm going to get you out there and I'll have you jumping. That was the conversation that took place. <laughs> My mare is only fifteen one. She's close to the ground. You'll be fine. Fifteen one close. You know that I ride one that's like thirteen and some change, right? That's a pony. I know. That's, that's my half Morgan. She's 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 a smidge under fourteen hands. 
you know what? Even better. I'm going to teach you to jump and then you're going to become a pony squisher. You're going to make so much money in the English world. It'll be great. You just jumping and then you had to throw ponies in there. You know why ponies are so low to the ground, right? They have a direct line of communication with Satan. You'll be Can fine. confirm. So, Jessamine. Um, so I actually started out the same way as Flo. I started out in Hunter Jumper World um, growing up, and then I ended up showing all around a little bit. Um, and then I ended up going to college for horses, um, specialized specifically in therapeutic riding, um, but got my general degree in equine studies and uh, fell in love with dressage while I was in college, uh, dressage and Western dressage. Um, and showed a lot all through college. We had four show teams. We had a hunt team, a Western team, a Western dressage team, and a classical dressage team. So I got to ride on all four teams, which was super duper fun. Um, and then after college, I ran the therapeutic riding facility there at the college for a while. Um, and then I kind of got burnt out teaching. I was teaching um, 30 to 40 hours a week, uh, just therapeutic riding, which is extremely uh can be extremely taxing um even more than just like traditional writing lessons so i actually left for a while and um i worked at a i actually worked at a thoroughbred facility where we got horses ready to go to the racetrack um and i did that for just under a year um and ended up moving back to southern ohio getting back into therapeutic riding um left there taught at a vocational school for four years um, so juniors and seniors in high school, um, they got to go to equine science program half a day. So I ran that program for four years and I got drugged back into therapeutic riding. And so that's where I'm at. Um, it's kind of been my, uh, bread and butter. I can't, can't get away from it. Um, and then I also teach traditional riding lessons on the side, mostly dressage and Western dressage. Hi, I'm Ryan. I teach kids how to ride rocket donkeys. <laughs> I mean, you do have the – when you guys describe, you know, what you do, what you've done, I'm just – I'm always in awe every time you two open your mouth. And I always get feedback. They're like every time, you know, um, you have flow on or every time, you know, Jessamine's telling about what she does, you know, I just want to pull the car over and listen. Well, apparently whenever I talk, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> Uh, that doesn't happen normally. Usually, we I talk too much, and people are like, "Okay, that's enough." Well, I think they're just tired of hearing my voice all the time. <laughs> I'm convinced my students would rather just me be silent. I feel um, like. See, I'm a totally and and so and this this kicks off kind of where we're going tonight. Is I am a totally different person when I'm in the arena with a kid. And, it, you know, and uh, people used to ask me, hey, you know, how young do you start a kid? And I'm like, well, how old's your kid and are you willing to walk away while I teach your kid? Because you're not going to want to be there at the rail. I said, because if you're going to be there at the rail and you're going to be scowling at me for yelling at your kid, it's not going to be a good time. We we have a separate viewing room that they can hear us, but we can't hear them. Oh, I yeah. love it. We have a viewing room that parents have to stay in because we do not condone parent interaction during the lesson unless there's like a specific reason. But um, parents can sometimes be the biggest distraction 
And also, like, if they don't trust us to do our job, then they probably shouldn't have us teaching their kids. 100%. I never had that privilege. Uh, all of the parents, uh, whenever I would teach, they'd be standing at the rail. And boy, that got difficult sometimes. Yeah, that, that's usually me, is either I'm over at a friend's facility using it, or I'm I'm here at the house. And I don't have an arena here at the house, but I got a big grassy patch, you know. And so we will work there. And um, parents are great for kids that are that need a little bit of maybe a, a safety blanket. You know, mom and dad's right there. It's okay. But one of the things that irks me, and I'll let you guys comment on it too, is when a when I'm trying to beat something into a kid's head of this can hurt you, don't do this. And then you've got a parent right there, right beside you. It's okay. It's it's okay. Don't don't worry about it. It's okay. Ugh. So, um, obviously, in, in therapeutic writing, we have students. We have, like, I have students who their parents have to advocate for them every day, like in a normal world setting. Their par- parents are having to advocate for them even more than like your regular kid because they want, you know, they want to make sure that their child is getting treated equally. Um, so actually 90% of the time here, um, 90% of the time I'm really lucky because we actually push, you know, like they, they're always wanting their child to get pushed to do their both the most and to be as independent as possible. Um, which is really nice. Like you would think it would be the opposite here, but um, mostly parents are like super excited that you're having them be independent. But I did have a run in with a parent once um, and I was pushing it. Like the parent didn't understand like how much riding the horse changed the, and affects the balance of the person that's riding. Um, And so I was, easing the student in and I'm someone who pushes my students even maybe sometimes too far because like I'm really 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 encouraging independence but um I was pushing him to his limit but I know where to stop and she came busting in the arena and was like excited another student who was able to do a little bit more and she was like he can do that too and I was like ma'am you hired me to teach your kid so if you want to talk about it afterwards we can talk about it afterwards but this is like uh you know, adult, one of my adult students. And I had to explain to her afterwards, like, I'm pushing him to the most that he can do, but you don't want it to be unsafe. Like, don't, don't interrupt in the middle of it. Let's see what happens and then talk to me afterwards. But parents in the arena is a big, as a big no-go for me. Drives me nuts. It it was very similar when I was um, in California teaching I had one young girl that was extremely timid as a rider and no lack of skill, but she just didn't want to go forward. And the first time she cantered, she kind of bounced it around and almost slips off. And the parents rush in and go, stop, 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 stop. We have to stop the lesson. We have to stop the lesson and go, she's about to get it. She's a, there's a breakthrough. I see this. Like I've seen this before. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. She's going to get hurt. She's going to fall off. She's going to get hurt. And I told them, I was like, listen, She's on a thousand pound animal. It's not if, but when and how bad. You don't want your child to get hurt. May I suggest chess? And they, re- I lost the client, but I told them. 
I, I did lose the client, but I told him, I was like, listen, I'm missing a front tooth. I'm I'm not asking your kid to go jump that four foot oxer outside. I'm asking her to canter for two strides and then come back down to a walk. We're just, she's got to get this if she ever wants to go to a dressage show. And the parents said, no, 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 no. We're done. We're done. I said, okay, well. Sorry, I told the kid I'm sorry, but and I told her she did great. And whoever she's riding with, I'm sure she's having a great time trotting around. But I completely understand. I had to. My parents had to stop coming to my riding lessons when I started jumping. My dad physically could not be there because I fell off so many times. Now, granted, I probably was pushed a little too far too fast, and they probably should have stepped in a little bit. But like, I told them I was like, I'm fine. Don't don't come to my lesson and don't say anything. Just be quiet. If I'm fine, I'm fine. I hit the dirt every day, but it's fine. My dad was like, I'm going to just start waiting in the car. I'm like, yeah, you probably should. My parents are like, they try to be super duper supportive. But at that point in time, they were they just couldn't like handle like seeing me at the dirt every day. So they were like, yep, we just can't be there. And I, I as a student, was like, if you embarrass me by coming to see if I'm okay while I'm laying on the ground with dirt in my face. You better just get out. I'm fine. <laughs> I, that almost sounds like uh, a girl that started for me, Autumn, and she listens, and she's probably about to cackle because she knows what I'm going to say, is forever that kid was a magnet to the ground. She had a great she had a great seat, awesome posture, and one of the, one of the best naturally gifted riders I think I've ever seen, but she was a ground magnet. I mean, she could be sitting up there as pretty as you please. You turn around, boom, on the ground. <laughs> but so her first show, I wanted her to jockey a mare for me. I said, you're ready for this. And she was so excited. We get over in the warm-up arena. She's just walking, just walking the horse. Somebody else's horse comes up. She's not paying attention. Somebody's other horse comes up. Gets really close. She goes to pull the mare over, and when she does, she realizes she doesn't have her feet in her stirrups. She goes ass over tea kettle on her head. She's got a vented helmet on, so the vented helmet's packed full of clay sand, and she jumps up like starfishes up in the air. Jumps up. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, you know, and then and then all of a sudden we hear you know over the overhead you know loose horse loose horse on the backside, and we're like, <clears throat> so we go get the horse. Finally, her mom, her mom's pretty busy. Her mom decided she was going to come to a show. This was about a year later. Remember, ground magnet. So her mom is coming. Her mom's coming to the show. Her mom's there. I've got friends there because we're going to watch my jockey run my mare. We're going to make some money, you know. Mare's doing good. Autumn's warmed up. Autumn's loose. She's ready to run. Her first run that day is in youth. So, because we're going to run our horse three times that day youth, open, and jackpot. She, you know, the only thing we couldn't run was senior because wasn't none of us old enough. I'm, I'm starting to get there though. The, uh, so she goes in, she starts way, way back, does a big jogging circle, and then just leans in, pushes reins up to the ears, and lets her go beautiful pattern one of the most beautiful patterns i ever saw and then we had a charmaine james incident sort of so we didn't lose a bit or a head stall 
we lost both stirrups round in the third can. Autumn is stretched out over this horse with her feet behind her like Superman. <laughs> horse and rider separate somewhere before the timer and are side by side. Autumn in midair. Horse breaks timer. Autumn breaks timer. It counts. Uh. <laughs> Autumn, go- Autumn goes sailing into the cattle panel that's making the arena. Head first and just crumples like paper on the ground. And I'm like, do I get Autumn or do I get the horse? Do I get Autumn or do I get the horse? And then finally somebody goes, I got the horse. And I'm like, oh, good. That made that decision easier. So then I, <laughs> and the funny part is I'm standing right there and I'm staring down at Autumn. And I'm looking at the horse and I'm like, and it finally hits me. Holy shit. She hit this thing pretty hard. And then all of a sudden I'm like, are you okay? And she goes, yeah, I hope mom didn't see that. All of a sudden I just see like blonde hair streaking down the hill toward the arena. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Here we go. So Autumn gets a Autumn's fine. Mom's freaked out. They At the end of the day, they start calling classes. And um, Autumn qualified and won a paycheck for that ride. Heck for yeah. that run. Not Hell even yeah. on her horse. Oh, so, love it. And uh, but her mom did not. One thing I can say, her mom did not give up on her. She knew she was accident prone, and you know, so I had a great experience with her mom. And her mom was always good about. I'm gonna drop her off and I'm gonna go somewhere because I don't want to watch. So I had a I had a student when I taught the vocational school and she was accident prone. Whether she's on a horse, off a horse, it didn't matter. One time she's real tall. She was up in the hayloft. And was getting ready to throw down hay and didn't realize that it like arced and just walked and just smacked her head and just and got a concussion and she fell off. I mean, like she got injured. I don't even know how many accident reports I had to fill on her that year. And her mom, uh, when I called one of the last times, I was like, "Yeah, I'm really sorry, but she got hurt again." Like, and she's like, "It's fine. We've got accident insurance. She's paying for my cruise." Because they got paid every time she got in an accident because of their insurance. I was like, my parents should have had that grown up. I was always busting something. So I do have a question for both of y'all. Would you rather deal with a a kid or would you rather deal with an, an adult as a student? And then I'll give you my mm. answer, but there's pros and cons to both. That's a tough question. That is tough. You want my answer to that? Yeah, go. I'd rather deal with a kid, especially a kid that does decent in school and stuff like that, that's used to structure. They're easier to mold, I've noticed. I take somebody that's in their 30s or 40s. They want to talk themselves out of stuff with me, and then when I go to, to push them to do something, they question too much. Yeah. And they get in their own head. And then when I then when I talk to them like a student, they um, take offense to it. I've lost more um, adult students than I ever have kids because they'll come, you know, for a week or two or something like that. It'll get to the point where, you know, I have a structured lesson plan and a three ring binder and I've got it memorized now. I don't take the book out, but I know I I know what's there and I know where they need to be after so many weeks or where I want them to be, you know, and it doesn't have to go in a particular time frame, but where I would like them to be to get their money's worth. And I've noticed that when I get to the point where I know they should be farther along than what they are, and they're not giving enough effort, I kind of get on to them a little bit. I go, Listen, you should be 
You should be a little bit farther along. Puppy's upset. You should be a little bit farther along. And you need to get out of your own head and this, that, and the other. And then they want to start this conversation about, well, you know, because of this or because of that. And I'm like, we're here right now. And a lot of people, they just can't. I don't know. They just can't. And I think also, too, it has something to do with, like, adults have so many other responsibilities, too, that they will let all of those responsibilities get in the way of making progress with their horse where like I've got two girls that I teach right now just traditional riding lessons let me tell you that they are the two well there's actually three of them but they are the most dedicated students I've ever taught in my life I mean it was like I don't know 10 degrees the other night and they were like are you still coming out to teach lessons I was like do you guys want to ride like I kind of figured it was gonna be they're like no we're, we're going to ride. We're going to be out there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, like, that week it had been freaking, I don't know, the highest temperature was, like, 30. And they were like, I was like, how many times have you guys gotten to ride this week? They're like, oh, we've ridden three times this week. And I'm like, to be right. Like, you know, like, yeah. they're super dedicated, which is, A, that's super rare to find. But, B, they don't have as many life things that get in their way because, they're not, you know, they don't have working there. They don't have their own kids. They don't have all of these things that they let get in their way between them and how they pro- they progress with their horse, opposed to some adults who they're like, well, I got this. Well, I got this. Well, I got this. I haven't touched my horse since the last time I saw you, you know. Oh, I'm, you know. And like you said, I think that, you know, the, depending on the adult, they they don't always take constructive criticism the best. And I'm just like you, I'm the kind of person who speaks very plainly, you know, like, if you want my help, this is what you have to do. If you don't want, like, if you're not going to do it, then you shouldn't be asking for my oh, help. Oh, I'm I'm quick to tell somebody, listen, if your heart's not in this, go home. Yeah. Because I, I, yeah. I don't need your money. You're, you're wasting my time and you're wasting yours. And a lot of people don't know how to deal with that because I'm like this. There's four places in, in the world that I completely tune everything out. One is when I'm fishing, the other is when I'm hunting, when I'm on a golf course, or I'm on a horse. Nothing else matters when I'm doing them four things. I could be behind on every bill I've got. You know, it, it doesn't matter that my the, the, the pastures could be muddy, and I might not know if my hay man's got enough hay to keep me through the winter. But if I'm doing one of those four things, I'm not thinking anything else about except for what I'm doing. And that's hard for a lot of adults to do. And that brings me full circle to why I would rather deal with youth writers than adults most of the time. For me, I honestly would actually rather have an adult. One, because when adults are writing, they're usually financially stable. And my point with that is, I have no problem with the kids working off lessons, right? But because of being a professional in the English world, usually we don't have much money. So I have to train my off-the-track thoroughbreds to be my lesson horses. Yeah, contrary to popular belief. Right. Contrary to popular belief, I am not wealthy. Yeah, everybody thinks we're rich. We're, we're what's called horse poor. Yeah. 100%. And while I love when the kids come and do the work and they work off their lessons and everything like that 
it's it really hinders the training in the horse and then potentially them riding because the horse is still so green. Yeah. With an adult, they're not going to work off their lessons. They're going to show up, they're going to attack their horse, they're going to ride their horse, and then they're going to go home and then they're going to come back and do it next week or the next day or whenever. Or they're going to take their horse home, work on what we worked on, come back and do it all over again. And even if it's the adult that doesn't want to listen to me during the lesson, which does happen, we do whatever they want to do and I can turn it into some kind of lesson for them. If they say, well, you know what, I don't want to jump big, I only want to jump cross rails. Cool, I'll show you an exercise that in a week you're going, okay, no more cross rails. But I'm going to be able to do that with them, with the kids. What's most difficult for me is the parents. The kids usually aren't difficult part. For me, it really is the parents because, I mean, Jessamine, you know, in the hunter-jumper world, these parents push these kids. And they push the trainers to the point where everybody's miserable in all honesty, where I've had parents go, why is my kid still jumping two six? Go, well, your kid's getting jumped out of the tack over two six and we need to work on balance. No, just raise the jumps. They'll be fine. I go, no, I'm not killing your child. I don't know what kind of insurance plan you have, but it's not going to be me. Today is not the day. I'm not the one. That horse is not it. But, and that's really the mentality of just take her to a show. I don't care. Raise the jumps up. Next level. Next level. Just push. And the kid ends up hating it. I inadvertently end up just disliking teaching just because the parents are pushing for things that the kid's just not ready to do. But when it's an adult, they're usually more timid. I've had one um, adult that I taught that was a real go-getter, but she always listened to me. But usually adults are timid going, you know what, maybe we just lower the jump a bit fine by me it's the parents of the kids going come on let's go we got shows to do we want to make this worth our money they're looking at at we're paying this much and the kids still jumping two six after three months why isn't the jumps going up and then they're getting on me it's well I love 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 teaching kids adults for me is just it always ends in a better way and to add on to what you said, to that something that we don't think about is that adults have a really good concept of how much of of making sure they're getting the most out of their money, right? So sometimes kids get on, they dilly dally around, and especially if you're trying to teach like many lessons in a day, like adults are like, I'm here on time, I'm getting ready, I'm gonna be on my horse, and I'm gonna do everything that I can do to make sure I get as much knowledge out of this session as I can. At least that's how I am in a lesson. Like, so I still go, I I go take lessons all the time just because I always want to learn more. And I'm that kind of person. I'm like, I'm like, I'm there. I'm there early. I'm tacked up. I'm warmed up. I'm ready when my lesson starts because I don't want to waste 15 minutes of my 40, you know, 15 minutes of my hour lesson on me walking my horse around and getting warmed up. Like, they've got things to do, I've got things to do, I want to get ready, and I want to learn as much as possible in that area, where sometimes kids are like, oh, I was, you've been, like, oh, I I should have been tacked up and warmed up when you got here, like, well, you know, and then I personally, when I teach, I end up going over with that student, because I'm, like, wanting to get all of these things done before I, because I don't see them again for another week. So I'm like, okay, I get all this stuff in. So I end up going over, which sets me back the rest of the night. So 
and, and I think one the, you can. Oh, sorry. No, no. I was going to say that's one of the things I'm guilty of too. So it's because I do work with a lot of kids, and I'm starting to figure out that I'm one of the few people that like to work with kids. But I always end up going over every lesson because either yeah, yes, they're being dropped off late, uh, or they're being dropped off, and then when I go out there, they're just standing around playing on their phone or texting somebody or whatever and their horse isn't caught you know the, the horse is still running around hasn't been groomed hasn't been caught and i'm like uh your lesson was at 11 you got here at 10 30 what have you been doing right well i've been waiting on you you don't need to wait on me yeah you, you know you've been a student here for six or eight months now you definitely don't need to wait yeah. on me so i think i think another thing um Jessamine, you'll really you'll understand this one especially with dressage Adults appreciate the small nuances in progress way more than students. When I have an adult that can finally put their horse together, their horse becomes really light in their hands, they're riding off their seat and leg, and they feel the horse underneath themselves, the adult, it sparks a light bulb. With the kid, very rarely will they feel the difference. They're kids for whatever reason it's really hard for them to understand the whole horse concept which it takes longer to teach kids but they focus on what's in front of them they see the horse's head down they think the horse is in a frame adults for whatever reason really appreciate that small nuance of oh i can feel the horse rock back oh i can feel the difference in the jump and those small pro progression to better riding just the adults really grasp that better, and it's always fun to see a student go, aha, I feel it now. Students, kids, a lot of the times don't feel that. I, yeah, you know, I, sorry, one, no, one thing. No, go ahead. Is I have, I'm currently working with two or three students that are literally in the perfect niche between being, being kids and being adults. So, like, they're 18, you know, like they're senior, senior in high school, college grad or first year of college. And so they're to the point now where they're super dedicated. They're trying, they're in their last year of 4-H. So they're like really wanting to like take that time before they become, I don't know, like real adults and they have to do real things. But they are to the point now where they can feel that softness and feel what the horse is supposed to be doing. And not just like, you're not just sitting up there like kick to pull, like we're really working on collection and rocking back on the hind end and making sure that we're, you know, like starting to get into the counter canner and thinking about lead changes. And like, those are the, those are the, for me, that's like the super fun things to start teaching. Like you said, like they appreciate that they can start having that feel and knowing like what, like when they get it right, they get so excited because they can feel it. And you know, they're, they're just pumped about it, opposed to some of, you know, like my therapeutic riding students, they don't, they get excited about like smaller victories, like that are totally different. But for me, like, I get super excited when I see my student like grasp the concept, and then they feel it grasp the concept, it's like the best thing in the world. The one thing about one thing I will say about kids is kids will always make you feel old. Yeah. And, and because yeah. I, so, so one of the things I like to do is, and I don't know if you guys know it, is I always, when especially I get a new kid and they've had a couple of lessons, I always like to, as they're riding, to, to sing the chorus part of the song, The Ride by Chris Ledoux. 
Sit tall in a saddle, hold your head up high, keep your eyes fixed where the trail meets the sky. I I always sing that when I see them looking down at the horses, the back of the horse's head, or they're they're kind of slumped, or I see I see those toes dip and them, them them heels come up a little bit. I'll start singing that song and it'll get their attention. And every time I do that, somebody goes, "What is that?" And I'm like, "That's Chris Ledo." Oh, my grandpa listens to him. Oh, ouch! You know, so that hurts. So switching gears a little bit. So we've all had students. We've all had lesson horses. When you guys are picking a lesson horse, what? And my mind says I'm going to get two different answers. My heart says I'm not. But when you guys are looking at lesson horses, what are you looking for? Flo, you go first on this one. Gonna put her That's, under under the gun. Yeah, I like it. Um, so <coughs> it really depends on one thing specifically: is is this for an advanced kid or a beginner? Because that's two different horses. Let's say we're looking at beginner horses. Ah, I want something really that's safe, and it's hard to describe that in a horse because. I don't mean I don't want one that spooks. No, I want one that spooks in a safe way. One that just kind of jostles the kid but won't take off running. I like that in a horse that keeps them on their toes. I like I look for a horse that's comfortable, especially in the gate. So when I'm looking at specifically a beginner horse and I go and I'm saying from like complete never ridden a horse to cross rails, I want a horse with a short, short stride because that's just going to be far more comfortable for a kid to ride or anybody to ride. In fact, I'm looking for a horse that naturally is a little bit downhill just because that usually means they're not super athletic for the hunter jumper worlds. Confirmation fault, bring it on. I'm also looking for a horse with typically a little bit higher head carriage. I know that seems a little bit weird. But in all honesty, what I've seen happen is kids like kids just start jumping and they take their leg off at the jump and the horse stops and they go forward. A horse with a higher headset, it stops them from falling off. I know that sounds super weird, but that's actually something I look forward, uh, look for in a horse. And then I actually look for a horse with a hard mouth, um, not so hard that they can't stop it, but something that while they're learning, they can balance just a little bit on their mouth and the horse isn't going to get mad. And then really um something that's a puppy dog personality those kind of horses that when they get off they can give it a big hug it's easy to handle on the ground something that just enjoys its life just overall want, looks comes to the gate when they see the kid come in with a halter but something that all around is not athletic whatsoever but is a saint all the way around See, me and you have very similar tastes in beginner horses, and and the reason, like, I want a I want a horse with a hard mouth that, and I don't care if the kid's got to plow rein the horse; they're learning, they're starting out, you know, and I don't mind a horse having a few quirks, maybe when you got to kick it a little harder, you know, it, it it makes them, you know, exaggerate what they're doing. And that doesn't bother me a bit. Like a dull deadhead for a beginner, I think, can fill them with false hope by the time they step up to uh, an intermediate horse. 100%. So I don't, yeah. So I don't mind a horse that's quirky, but it also needs to have that teddy bear personality, you know, and one that's gonna 
shudder a little bit at something that it don't quite understand not not completely rear back or start crow hopping or something like that or completely duck down to the knees and jerk back or something and throw the kid off but something that's just going to kind of look stop and look and make make the kid go whoa what just happened i'm i'm completely cool with that jessamine so mine is actually pretty similar to what flo said we look for um horses that may not be the most athletic like you were saying because we don't want something that's going to shoot out from underneath the kid you know you get a little spicy one day and whatever um mine's a little bit different in the fact that we don't want something that's going to have like a reaction to something that might be a little bit scary but we still want something like along those lines we don't want something that's a complete an utter deadhead that doesn't have any response to anything you do because our students may not be able to like i'm speaking solely to therapeutic riding um my therapeutic riding area but um we want to make sure that some of our students um can get a response out of that horse because they might not physically be able to pull super duper duper hard but also we don't want it to be extremely sensitive so we need to find something right there in that middle ground where you know, when they pull left, it's going to go left, but it's not going to be spinning around like crazy. Um, that's like our very, very beginner horse. So my horse, Chance, I mean, I'm very, very, um, I don't know, you know, biased because he's mine. But in my, in You're my biased. idea, he is the, he is the like ultimate therapeutic riding horse because he can be a real turd and he has a lot of personality. Um, so it actually draws those students into being like, oh, what's he doing? You know, like keeping them active and keeping them paying attention instead of just zoning out. Um, but when you get him in the mounting ramp, when you're, the student is getting on him the first time, he absolutely reads that student and will act accordingly. Um, you know, if it's a student that absolutely needs him to be 100% a saint, he is not going to put a foot wrong. Um, but if he has a student who's kind of being a little prick on top of him, he is going to give that student just enough challenge to be like, I'm just not going to do whatever you want. Like, oh, you aren't paying attention while you're going around the rail. I'm going to just pull myself into the middle of the arena and stop, and you're going to have to do something about it. Um, so for me, like having a horse that really pays attention, engages to the rider as far as a lesson horse is super, you know, important. Then I can get on him and he's 29 and he can go for, go, still go show first level dressage. I mean, he's like, he like, there he you will go. Collect, yeah, he'll collect up and he'll rock back on the hind end and be soft in the mouth and do all those things. But then I can have a student, one of my students, um, they only have full functioning of one of their arms, like of one arm. Um, don't have crazy balance, but they can ride him 100% independently and neck crane him around that arena and he will turn and do whatever they want him to do. So, um, you know, like, but, but very similar to what you were saying, we still want them to be slow. We don't want them to be, you know, too, too crazy, but still have personality. Um, semi-athletic, like athletic enough to be able to do their job, but not overly athletic or too fine-tuned because then you're going to have kids pitching off because they have no idea what they're asking and then they can ruin that horse too that's true absolutely and also very forgiving is like a forgiving horse and like you said something that isn't going to get mad that they're pulling a little bit too hard or they're doing this or that 
Yeah, I actually, when I was still in California, unfortunately, I had to use my personal horse for a lesson horse a couple times. And when I'm on her, it's, oh, she will test me. She is all mare. She is all mare. I breathe too much out of my right nostril and we're twirling. She's like, absolutely not, mom. You know better. And if I touch her face, it's a fight. But I had a eight-year-old girl that started riding with me and it was one of her lunge line lessons and the girl was definitely a little dependent on the reins to start off with and this mare the girl got on her and this mare was literally watching where she put every foot she'd watch every I mean this I've never seen this mare walk so gingerly from the mounting block to the arena where with me, she'd spook five times at a leaf that wasn't there yesterday. But with this kid, you could see she'd look at something and she would just walk past it. She'd look at something and she was 100% just taking care of that kid. Then the next day I got on and she's she's like, you just sit there. You sit there. You don't do anything. You tell me to trot because she was like, I got a lunge line lesson. This is my job now. and for 20 minutes, she just trotted in a circle. I just, I dropped the reins and she would just trot in that slow trot in a circle. As soon as I would take her out, she's like, nope, they're wrong. And I didn't ruin the horse, but she just told me, she's like, I'm a lunch line horse now. That's it. That's it. I'm not. Don't ask anything else of me. This is my life now. Yeah. She's like, I'm not your three foot hunter anymore. Uh-uh. Nope. I'm the lunch line horse for that eight year old kid. And she loved that kid up until we left California. I, Oh, she's any beginner student. She's fantastic with you put an advanced rider on her. All of a sudden she knows yeah. she's like, she's like, don't you dare touch my face. Don't you dare squeeze more than like half a pound of pressure or the, otherwise we are hand galloping down the rail. Gone. <laughs> Absolutely gone. So could I get you guys to help me with something? Of course. If you'll get a little time. I want to go through my Q&A. Okay. Now, granted, the majority. Now, granted, the majority of my Q&A is, hey, if I send you a picture of my horse's papers, can you go through them? So you know what I did? I started a Patreon, and at the top level, we can have a one-on-one video call, and I will help you research your horse. Because, and I always tell people all the time, I can't tell you anything that your registry can't tell you. And most of the time, it's quarter horses. And I'm like, let's go to the AQHA. All, all, the, all the horses are clickable. You can click in a, on the pedigree, and it'll tell you. And I'm not picking on you guys, because I know not everybody can, can do that. Matt. Or somebody will go, hey, my horse is out of so-and-so. Do you think it'd be good at this? I don't know. Try it. You know? Yeah. And just yeah. because a horse has whatever bloodlines doesn't mean it looks like it has those bloodlines. No. Just because it's a Paco Bueno does not mean it's going to be an exceptional cutter. There's a lot of mares that were involved in there. And if you've got rocket donkey mares, you might have a Paco Bueno rocket donkey. Or you just might have a – you might just end up with a trail horse at the end of the day. You know? So and so I And I do get this question here a lot. It says, what age do you start horses under saddle? I've done all my groundwork. I'm going to stop right there because you probably haven't. You're never done with groundwork. Um, anyway, my horse turns two in April, and that's from White Mountain Moonshine on TikTok. Oh, this is a tough, this is a tough question. So repeat the question. 
Repeat just at, the very beginning of that. Okay, at what age do you start horses under saddle? I can answer that one easy. I will have the horse vetted at two. And if the vet says you're good to go, knees have formed and have bonded, go ahead and start light saddle work. You can start light saddle work. Absolutely. So if the horse turns two in April, you don't need to be starting that horse. I, I would say two at the minimum, and then at two, have the vet come out. You don't need to be starting at a year and some change. And I'm gonna I'm about to make every warm blood person that listens to this podcast really mad. Go ahead. We make warm blood I love it. seethe all the time. Um my warm blood that I had now I wasn't getting on him and I know we're talking about starting under saddle, but I had a saddle on him at a year and a half. Just saddling and lunging and doing groundwork around the arena. Um ground dry, you know, holding it in his mouth, starting to ground drive. Nothing nothing crazy. We're not running circles into the ground or anything like that. Um, and I sat on him for the first time as a two-year-old. Um, I mean, we're not, I, I think it's, I frown upon people who are like getting on and riding walk, trot, canter for 45 minutes to two, you know, 45 minutes to two hours a day as a two-year-old. I mean, you shouldn't be like loping circles for 40 minutes, but, um, I, the second, when he, when he turned two, I was up in the saddle and we were walking flowy long lines around the arena doing a little bit of trotting um and then i turned him out for the winter and occasionally sat, i mean i still groundwork him stuff over the winter but i was personally lazy so i didn't ride him very much over the winter brought him back out as a three-year-old <laughs> rode him a little bit walk trot minimal canner as a three-year-old put him back out for the winter because i was lazy brought him back in and started really like getting in what I would consider as green broke as a four-year-old. Yeah, I have I, no problem with somebody putting a saddle on a horse's back before two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you're trying I, to I, walk I trot canter at, at, you know, a, with a yearling. Yeah. I kind of have I a huge problem. issue with that. Yeah. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, those that say wait till a horse is an adult, I'm not waiting till seven people. Absolutely. I've had enough TBIs. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, you know, I a lady brought me a fif- an untouched 15-year-old spotted saddle oh, horse no. not too long ago. No, it wasn't a spotted saddle horse. She said it was a paint, but I swear that thing was a spotted saddle horse. But, um, and, you know, a friend of mine took it, um, put probably about 40 days or so on it, brought it to me to finish out. And I'm like, this horse is not ready to finish out. This horse needs 30 more days of, of work work. And I ended up sending the horse back to the owner and was like, if you're wanting a sane, sound trail horse, this is not the horse. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, I'm right there with you. I get him x-rayed. And that's what I did with my three-year-olds um, off the tracker because he he turned for um, April of 2021 and I had him as a three-year-old and he kept growing. So I kept having to turn him out and he was a racehorse, so I didn't get to back him, but I when the x-rays come back that the growth plates are closed, that's when they start their, within that month, they get their first five rides of walk. And then on the fifth ride, the very end of the month, we do walk and a jog. But it's like when I start them jumping, when the growth plates are closed, it's time to go over a cross rail and it's time to start going over poles. And the horse, I can't argue with growth plates closing. That's the best part. 
is I can argue all day long if the horse is mentally mature enough or physically mature enough. The x-rays don't lie to me. And then it takes completely out of the equation the human factor that we all put into the horses of, oh, but he's so big, he must be mature enough. Oh, he's half draft. So he he grows up faster, which is a whole nother, I won't even get into it, but it's one of those, the x-rays came back. No, he's still growing. Cool. Turn him out. Let's do more groundwork. That's it. It's easy for me. The decision is then out of my hands. Yeah. So I got another question here. This is from Service Dog Amber. It's also from TikTok. It says, if I sent you a picture of my horse I had growing up, would you be able to tell me what he is? No. And here's why. You're, we can get pretty close. We can get close. But if that horse was a great horse, and because she says the horse never had any papers. So we're talking about a great horse. And it could have been a backyard bred mutt for all we know. I've seen a lot of horses that look like other things and were not those things. It just depends on what's yeah. in there. If you get something that's got a, a longer muley head and you throw something small and stocky in there, you're going to have something that sort of looks like a Morgan and isn't a Morgan. And I've seen that run across a lot in the Morgan groups. Hey, I think I have a Morgan. And then we'll all look at it and go, no, 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 no. That's like a Tennessee walker or cob or something. I mean, that's not that's not a Morgan. You know, and then they get their feelings hurt. So, no, to save your feelings, we might get close, you know. But here's the thing, and I try to explain this all the time, is especially here in the United States, the majority of stuff that we run across that are grade usually have uh, some sort of quarter horse in them. You know, predominantly when we run across great horses here. Now, and it depends on the area. Every line of quarter horse is built different. You can take two quarter horses from two different lines, yeah. put them side by side, you'd swear it was two different breeds and they wouldn't look remotely the same. So I bought my AQHA uh, blue, big blue roan mare. And when I, when I put an offer in on this horse, I didn't really know that much about her. I'd ridden her, I loved her, fell in love with her. And she had a very, 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 very reasonable price tag. So I was like, I'll buy her. I had no idea that she was papered. Um, so I was like, oh, like, what is she? Like, is she a draft cross? Because her feet, I mean, they are huge. And she's got big bones, stocky, 15-3, but this <laughs> wide. You know what I mean? Like, That's then, how I like but them. She, but she has her, her hind end is kind of built like a percheron cross, like not quite up underneath herself as much as I'd like to see her. But so I just assumed that she was a draft cross because of how big she was. And like, I mean, huge feet, big boned. I mean, and so I was like, oh, she, and he's like, oh, no, she's registered in QHA. And I was like, are you, are you sure that these papers belong to this horse? But I mean, they did. I mean, obviously they match and she, she's branded and everything. So there's no, there's no doubt about it. But I mean, you can't, you can, I mean, nine times out of 10, you can have a rough idea of, of what they are, but. You're never gonna be able to say my one of my students. Um, she got this horse out of the kill pen, black and white painted horse. Um, figured he was some sort of paint cross, you know. Never don't know. Um, we sent a we they took a DNA test of him, came back ninety nine percent Holsteiner. Yep. Never. I mean. I would have never, I mean, he's not that big. He's like 15'2", 
At, at that point, if it's black and white, you just call it a whole steener, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah. Well, you know, so I have, a, I have a client that has a little black and white pinto horse, and I'm unsure what it is. I, I think she told me at one time it was a, a quarter horse. It's not built like any line of quarter horse I've, I've ever, ever seen. And, um, but, you know, I, and it's got little tiny feet, which now that does run in a lot of quarter horse lines, tiny, tiny little, little teacup feet. And they're annoying. Navicular messes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she is constantly lame. This horse is constantly lame. Um, she's got a misshapen frog on one foot. It grows almost, uh, it it grows almost parallel to the the toe. Oh oh. Yeah, it, it is weird. Uh, and but that's not the foot she's always lame on. She's lame on another foot. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> that's okay. So she's asking me if I was great kids horse though, and sound. And I'm, I'm I debate on it if I want the thing every day. But um, so anyway, I, let me let me get where I was going with this. So a, a friend of mine has a big liver colored horse that she swears up and down is a canadian canadians aren't very big so no canadians are like morgan sized so here we go everybody's and everybody's like riding her in the car goes, god he's talking about morgans again like canadian warm blood or what is no, um uh what is it cheval the canadian the horse that was supposed to be in the foundation to the morgan Oh, yeah, no, they're small. Yeah, they're small. So and she goes, oh, well, it's a Canadian draft. Yeah, she's like, well, it's a Canadian draft. And I'm like, is that a thing? Are Canadian drafts a thing? We'll just make stuff up. Like, That's what I'm saying. American you know, warm blood is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got, it's, it's got, yeah, it's got drafty feet. It's kind of, it's, it's big. It's barreled. I've got some video of me, Ryan. I wrote it a couple weeks ago. Typical, typical mare. Um, yes. She was she was she's a big teddy bear, but she was snotty because there were some strange horses there, and she's the boss mare in her paddock. So whenever these oh, and a friend of mine brought her beautiful little butt skin quarter horse with her. It's just a little small teacup foot quarter horse, but it's a baby doll. And she rescued this thing. It was completely emaciated when she got it, and she put weight on it. It's a good top line, and it is an angel. And this draft wanted to eat its face. So I'm I'm riding this draft. First of all, I think I'm suffering from like hip dysplasia halfway through the halfway through the ride because I've got my barrel saddle on her because it fit her, you know, and uh, so then my feet my feet look like they're six foot apart, like I, I look. <laughs> so you know, I was trying to they wanted to run and I'm like I don't know if I can give enough leg pressure to make her run. She's been riding with leg pressure the whole time because I can't put my legs down, you know. <laughs> But, At that um, point, I just put a, like a chair. Yeah, but she's got slightly, uh, she's got a slight amount of feathering, and she is tank built, quarter horse type head, in my opinion, like quintessential halter type quarter horse type head. And I told her, I said, you know. I would be looking at thinking she's some kind of maybe even like a Percheron cross. I was like, those Percheron quarter horse crosses are popular. Just, just call it a Canadian warm blood and call it a day. You know what? Those though, are she a could thing too. Just re- <laughs> registered as a as an olden bird. Yeah, pretty you, you, you could probably you might, get away. You with might it. get away with that. <laughs> the I, warm blood people are going to be like the Tennessee Walker people and send me death threats. Probably. The warm blood people already dislike me because I've given away all their secrets. Oh, we had a great conversation with with Jessamine about. 
warm bloods and i was like i think flo will completely disagree with you i think because you you listened to it when oh yeah the last yeah, podcast when somebody oh, said that it. warm bloods were overrated yeah they are and yeah. was that you justman that said warm it bloods were overrated? but you I owned one. I love, who I, was it who was it that was arguing and saying that there was only uh what did they say that warm bloods there's not going to be a thoroughbred that can compete at the same level that a high level warm blood can. I called BS. Shoot, that was probably might have been me. I don't even know. I don't know. So the my this is totally off topic of what we're talking about, but like my opinion on that is if they were to take thoroughbreds and actually breed them for sustainability instead of just being ridden for a couple of years. We did a whole then, episode on that. <laughs> then we would, then they could be competing. Then we would have a lot more thoroughbreds competing at the top levels with warm bloods, and there would be no difference. Here so, comes my little soapbox. Um, but before if, you get on your soapbox, can I ask a question? Because I want you to get on this soapbox. I, oh I, yeah, I love flow soapbox. The I might have to edit that out. The um, the 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 thing is what what bothers me is there. Why hasn't the thoroughbred community gotten together and created something outside the jockey club for the breed? Let the jockey club have all their rules. Because the retired racehorse project is so illustrious in the thoroughbred community, and it has to be jockey jockey club registered. And it has to have at least one posted workout. Doesn't have to race, but it has to have at least one official workout within that year. And the real money in the thoroughbred world, besides racing, is in that retired racehorse project because those the horses that win, oh, money. I mean, they're Ridiculous. they're getting sold yeah. as much as the warm well, bloods. And here's something else that if and and think about this, and I could be a hundred percent wrong. Why is it that, you know, the creation of new breeds has really slowed down? Like, we saw the peak of creation of new breeds around 100 years ago. Why haven't we looked at the adding, and I'm a firm believer in this, and you all have both heard me say, I believe you can add thoroughbred and Arabian to anything and make it better. It is proven fact. If you don't believe me, look at the appendix registry of the American Quarter Horse Association. People are chomping at the bit for those studs. But if you always notice that people want to start something like an appendix registry or they want to do something else, they never just want to take the thoroughbred and something else and let's just turn that into a breed. Well, and does it have all, to do with these hardliners that just don't want to let go of stuff? Or In all honesty, that's what the warm bloods are because the majority of the modern warm bloods, if you go back, there's so much thoroughbred and that's honestly what gives them the majority of their athleticism because up until 40 years ago i i say 40 because that was the 80s thoroughbreds that's it in the jumping world in the dressage world you had thoroughbreds at every step of the way and 40 years ago maybe not i'd say maybe 20 years ago is really when the big boom of warm bloods came in and all of these warm bloods, they were all somehow related to thoroughbreds, and they still are. The majority of these warm bloods are half thoroughbred, and they're still registered warm bloods. Don't get me mm. wrong, but 
they did that with a thoroughbred. They brought in a little bit of Clydesdale. They brought a little bit of Belgian. They brought a little bit of Shire and Percheron. And then eight generations later, they just kept breeding it to thoroughbreds. They had that original cross and then thoroughbred, thoroughbred, thoroughbred. And about eight generations, six to eight, they had this sport horse that nobody could beat. And then they started breeding them to each other. And that's when the warm blood came because that draft gave it just enough bone that it was going to keep the sustainability of the breed, like Jessamine was saying, and just enough um, bone and tendons to do the job it was being asked for. But it had that athleticism of all of those thoroughbreds. And because it was a warm blood and they had already bred it to um, whatever kind of drafts it was, they didn't need to do live cover at that point. So all of a sudden you had the best basically draft thoroughbred cross and the best draft thoroughbred cross in the jumping world. And then they just kept breeding them. And all of a sudden we got the super horse that now is the warm blood. Well, you you look at like, and I hate to keep bringing up quarter horses, but it's it's an easy history to to talk about. Is, is you look at the, what we know today as the American quarter horse and if we look at the American Quarter Horse in 1940 at the inception of the American Quarter Horse Association, those are two completely different horses. And and the reason being is because of that heavy dose of thoroughbred, Morgan and standard bred and Arabian that they got in the 30s. Yes, people, your 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 quarter horse has a heavy dose of, of Arab, probably a heavy dose of of draft. Um the, you know, and it blows people's minds when I tell them, hey, everybody wants to talk about Hancock horses. Well, you know, the, the mare that made Joe Hancock was a half Percheron. You know, are we? I, I talk about King and all of those horses and uh, Joe Reed. Joe Reed is one of the more prolific stallions in the AQHA, um, has so many Hall of Fame out of his get and grand get and great grand get. The the crazy thing about him was he was a racehorse, or his his line is racehorse, and he is line bred completely on the stallion side to nothing but thoroughbreds. You know, you, those cow horses that everybody thinks today, those those went west as Morgans, and and they bred with Spanish horses, and they made some really good. You know, they made some really good horses that had cow sense. Then they come back east and they got some more thoroughbred and then they got some more cow horse. And then in the 1920s and the 1930s, when they were on the racetrack sprint race and they got Arab for endurance and they got standard bred for speed and they got, you know, Morgan for muscle mass. And I just don't know why there isn't, you know, and I went way down that rabbit hole, but I still don't know why the thoroughbred don't have an association outside the jockey club. I think, like, I'm not in the third as much as Flo, but from my perception is that because the thoroughbred industry is so flooded and streamlined and fueled by horses going to the racetrack that they're not, they're just taking what they can get after they're done with the racetrack because trying to start a breeding industry outside of that, there's not a whole bunch, there's not a, lot of money in it and a lot of these horses that are being bred for the racetrack are only bred to be sound and usable you know up until five six seven they're not 
they're not thinking, oh, maybe we should shorten our pass turns a little bit so they can still ride when they're when they're twenty. No, let's let's make them ten inches long. It's fine, no big deal. Yeah, flows flows about to get on that soapbox because I'm sure that was another point she was about to make. I've had this conversation. Oh yes, the confirmation wise, the thoroughbred has just. You look at a horse, and if it's a thoroughbred, if it's a poorly bred thoroughbred, immediately you're like, that's a thoroughbred. And that's the worst part about the breed, in all honesty, because immediately those long pasterns, those spindly legs, that high, low hoof, that sometimes really short back, I mean, that steep shoulder, there are so many confirmation faults that have bred, been bred into this breed that make it to- a horrible sport horse. Sorry. I had to cover my face because I I was about to belly laugh when you said Yeah, I mean, but like we're being honest, there are so many confirmation faults that have bred into thoroughbreds because one and they're downhill. There's so many things I can mention, but all because it does equate to speed, but only for three years. Like the majority of racehorses retire at three because... That's all you can get out of them before they have a sesamoid fracture, before they bow both fronts, they, before they have a suspensory. That's all you get out of them because, yeah, they're fast, but they're not put together worth a heck. I mean, they, they're they built for the now and for someone, because breeding, regardless of the breed, it's expensive. It costs between fifteen and $20,000 from having the mare to putting a foal on the ground just in vet, stud fee, everything. And then some of the stud fees on these thoroughbred stallions are astronomical. I mean, $100,000. So for someone like me that has a very nice thoroughbred mare who was sport bred herself, for me to go out and find a thoroughbred stallion, they're not, they're, I can't find one that has been purposely bred for the hunter ring for eight generations like I can with the warm bloods or purposely bred for beautiful flowy movement and dressage like the warm bloods. They have just been so bred for speed. And fortunately for the thoroughbred world, they can't do artificial insemination because I could only imagine if we could cross secretariat and ruffian, what a disaster that horse would be just longevity wise because both Secretaria and Ruffian did have an injury or better yet Sham and Ruffian because both of them broke their cannon bones in a race but they were fast but I'll give you another one I'll give give you another one I'll give you a horse that was probably a shoe in for a triple crown and that's Barbaro and you know somebody's going to take those jeans and those weak ass legs. I mean, at one point in time, that horse recovered from a broken injury, landed up with laminitis. It it happens, okay? That I let that pass, but then end up with laminitis in both front feet. And it's that's genetic. It's it is genetic, and don't get me wrong. I this is this is kind of where my split is. Horse racing is such a status symbol in America that the owners don't know what they're doing, but the trainers and everybody involved absolutely do. The vets, the trainers, and again, this is another soapbox that I'm going to get on, is the racing industry 
is doing a huge disservice to the thoroughbreds, the majority of it, it's the big money ones, because those dollar signs mean more to them than the horse. And don't get me wrong, they love their horses because that's their livelihood. And I'm sure a trainer with a million dollar horse in the barn is going to love it a whole lot because that's its meal ticket. But the breeders, everybody, when you have a breeding farm that's breeding 100 head, 150 head, sometimes 200 head in one year, and 50 of those make it to the track, right? Like a quarter of those horses make it to the track. Okay, how many of those horses win at the track? 10? 10 they win their maiden? And of those 10, one one might make an actual career and have and just have the structure and the longevity to make it a career. That's the biggest disservice in the thoroughbred industry is out of 200 foals, potentially one is going to have the longevity and the structure and everything right to make it big. But they're still going to breed 200 next year just for that chance. And it's just it blows my mind because there's just so much there's so much money in it that they have the money to blow on on doing that and so then you have all these other horses that might not even make it to the track and what do you do with them because they're not bred for sustainability so it's not like they're they're gonna i mean some of them obviously will have like a long career doing something else but you know like if they were bred if if these horses were bred for sustainability and we had 150 out of 200 not make it to the track at least those 150 could go on and you know, lives a, live a sustainable, sound career, um, which I, I think that's why thoroughbreds get such a bad rap is because there are those horses that are out there that are just bred so poorly, didn't make it to the tracks, so they're not, you know, RFP, like, eligible, and so you just are to the point where it's like, there's all of these thoroughbreds, what do we do with them? Um, which is awesome why people like you come in and, like, take the ones that are able to have the next career and do something with them. Cause without that, we would have an insane amount of horses just standing around doing nothing. Yeah. And in all honesty, this is very much an American problem because you have horses, race horses like Winx in Australia that raced until she was eight years old and won. She, um, I believe she still holds the record for the most grade one wins in a row at like 22 or 23. She beat Black Caviar. Now she's a brood mare. That mare is going to pass on great genes because if you can race till eight years old and stuff like the Ascot Cup, oh my God. Yeah, that horse is built to less. And as much as I, as much as I am torn on the steeplechase side of the house, they're not racing those two-year-olds in the grand national those horses seven eight nine ten years old that are racing and yeah you have a lot of catastrophic injuries which is extremely unfortunate which is why i'm torn but those horses they are built to last because they breed them and they they train them they leg them up they do everything instead of what the thoroughbred people do at two years old you first races in july you turn two on uh january 1st Let's see how fast we can leg them up so we can make it to that maiden. And if they don't win the maiden, okay, cool. That That's something, hey, Jessamine, that's something you need to do too. <clears throat> Come down to Aiken in the spring for steeplechase. All right, I'll be there. It, it's it's the uh, it's awesome. Everybody dresses to the nines. 
and we back our vehicles in along the rail and we set up a tent and we drink large amounts of alcohol and watch horses race i love it it's great that sounds like a blast i'm down it's great but you know and you were saying that you know they they love their horses because of um the money that's their livelihood and i hate to say this but that bleeds off into so many other types of horses too so many other 100 um and in the quarter horse world the the standard bred world like we ain't even talked about standees like that is that's the american version of the thoroughbred when it comes to just how can we breed a horse and get the most out of it right now and and standees suffer from that too and when you said it's an American problem, it really is, but it has to do with a lot of the American ideologies. I want it, and I want it now. There, there's no patience. There's no patience in the breeding. There's no patience in the racing. So quick little history tidbit, though. You said uh, – you mentioned black caviar earlier. You know, that horse is on a Nearco. Oh, yeah. I Like like every like every good racehorse yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure um, – I want to say like the last 15 years of Kentucky Derby participants have some kind of relation to the horse. Yeah. I think the last four triple crown winners were out of had Nearco in the line. And from 1984, I think to 2010, what is the big French race? I cannot remember. Anyway, every winner of it was had Nearco in the line prolific horse i gotta do a video on that horse that horse had its own bomb shelter during world war ii they wanted to protect it at all costs and for good reason but oh, yeah um actually there was an interesting documentary i watched like i watched this thing like 10 years ago and they dissected um a racehorse that unfortunately had uh broken one of its legs and had to be euthanized and they did a necropsy and they showed how the tendons work and how much load it could take but then they compared it to Eclipse, the, the horse that the Eclipse Award, for the viewers that don't know, is named after. And he was a racehorse in the 1800s in England, and he won everything. And the owners, when he passed away, they said they want a, not only a necropsy, they want a full dissection. And they want basically a full analysis on why that horse was so fast for so long and all of these vets in the 1800s got together after all of this was done and they go, because he was completely average. They go, his legs were not super long. They were completely perfect to the um, size of his barrel from withers to elbow, from elbow to hoof. They said it was perfectly even. They said his back, every proportion was 100% perfect. Every angle between his shoulder, his hip and his pasterns and his hoof matched perfectly they said that's why he was so fast for so long because he was so confirmationally correct and his skeleton is actually still in england right now um at one of the veterinary universities on display and really it comes down to good breeding and good confirmation will always help a horse outlast their career oh wholeheartedly and and it's that way with any breed is Again, it comes back to you're, you're, you're breeding young horses to use them when they're young with the hopes that by the time they're four or five years old, they're retired for studs. And you see that in the quarter horse world. Now, the quarter horse world has done a decent job 
with longevity of the breed because if you look 30 years ago you were lucky to get 21 22 years old out of a quarter horse now you're starting to see a lot of these quarter horses living to be 30 35 years old you know you look at some of the most prolific stallions within the american quarter horse world and most of them die between the ages of like 17 22 you know uh, i think if i'm not mistaken i think uh, king died at like 18 or 19 years old 18 or 19 years old for me i'm still showing a horse at 18 or 19 years old at a high level these days oh yeah my horse is 29 like i said and i took him on a nine mile trail ride the other day and he's not on any he's not on any joint supplements no medications nothing he's just uh very 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 well built quarter horse was it was he grumpy about it though no really? he loves it man he loves the trail run now he is grumpy when i make him go like work in the arena and frame up and like ride a dressage test or something he's like okay i'm done with that i've i've lived enough life you can do that on your other mare like i don't need that well, and, but, and, and, no go ahead i'm sorry but no like i mean and we were riding some not i'm not saying it was like super rough terrain but we were going up and down hills and was a little bit muddy, a little bit rocky, and he just plowed right through. He didn't care. Not and actually, so my friend rode him, and I rode my mare. And a funny story: my mare, who's 16, who's not quite built as well as he is, was actually a little bit sore the next day, and he was fine. Yeah, perfectly fine. Well, you know, and that's one of another reasons why. And here we go. Everybody's going to start just biting their lip. That's another reason why I like Morgans. It is not unheard of to see a Morgan at like 35 years old. And he's still getting light work. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just, you know, they're like mule people used to say, well, you know, well, I have a mule because I can work a mule up till 30. Have you met a Morgan? A good bred Morgan is at 30 years old. Still a kid's lessons horse, you know. I mean, it's. And a spunky one, usually. They're not a deadhead either. They're still loving life. Yeah. Have I ever mentioned that I I love Morgans? No, I don't think so. I got to be honest. you like Morgans? Yeah, I don't know. I, I know it's odd. It's kind of weird. But, you know, I mention that to people. And I, it's, you get there's two type of people when you say, I like a Morgan. And either you get the type of person who goes, ooh, yeah, I like a Morgan too. But, man, I wish I could get my hands on one. And the others are like, I don't think I've ever seen one. We had – this is totally off topic. Well, it's not off topic, but off topic to whatever else we were talking about. When I was at the Kerr Center, we leased a Morgan – for a year and she was the fattest little thing on the planet her name was honeybee and and i mean voluptuous voluptuous and she was actually other than the fact that she wouldn't say sound and that had nothing to i think it just was her owner let her get too fat i think she had bouts of laminitis but um other than that, like, honestly, she was a deadhead, and we loved using her in the program. So that's, like, the most interaction I've ever actually had with the Morgans. They're not super-duper popular around here. Um, most of the Morgans in this area are all saddle seat-ridden Morgans. They're not, like, used for traditional. Yeah, outside of Vermont, you'll be lucky to find Morgans popular. I mean, you've got pockets where you'll have, you know, breeders where they might be popular, but really outside of the state of Vermont, good luck. And then if you go within the state of Vermont to go buy one, go ahead and crack that checkbook wide. Get the extra good pen to write those zeros. 
the they, only, they're going to cost you. The the first Morgan that I ever actually saw was when I was um, hunting with the Arapaho Hunt Club in Colorado. And uh, there was a lady out there that her hunt horse was a Morgan and taking all the jumps in first flight. I mean, this thing was fast. This thing had endurance. <laughs> this oh, thing yeah. would jump, jump cute too. Knees tucked everything. And just the brain I've never I've never seen like this thing it wouldn't spook and it mm-hmm. was it, I, what's the term um where it's like watching its feet it's um like it it never steps in a gopher hole and you could just gallop it just flat sure-footed just yeah that's what it is it was so sure-footed and I mean Colorado yeah. we've got gopher holes left yeah. and right my, I'm my- on, my gal is that way. I, we sh- I shoot from her. I've hunted from her. I've hunted pigs from her. And I can throw a kid on her and do a fun show. In fact, that fun show that's coming up in March, I'm taking that horse. I'm I'm taking my, my little Morgan. And Autumn's going to take Foxy and mop up that day. I, I can see that happening. But I'm taking – that's me bragging on my cool rab. But I, my – um. I got dogs barking. My uh, my little Morgan's the one that's that I'm gonna take because steady as she goes. Now she isn't fast, but I don't know what she's bred with. She's not fast, and she does not mind jumping. You can ask my dad about that. There's been a lot of accidental, you know, incidents on the trail where there were a tree down or a rock or a berm, and instead of just stepping over it, she just decided I'm just gonna tuck and clear. But um, yeah, she's a little squatty. Fat necked, you know, got them Morgan ears, got that Morgan butt, built just big chest. I mean, she's she's a stocky little gal. She's a bulldozer. To be so small, she is a bulldozer. Brian has a very specific type in all aspects of life. I do. <laughs> women and horses. I like, yeah, I like them. I, I like my women built like my little half Morgan. Just stocky, thick. Good head on them. Go anywhere. Don't have to be very fast. <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna comment too much. We'll get in trouble. Uh, yeah, we we'll have to. That's have for to, another time. Have to have to for do the. Uh, and we gotta get flow and on this. And um, I'm not gonna edit this out because I think most people know that it's coming. So we are starting a a second podcast, but with the the group. And it, it is going to get that E for explicit rating, um, and this is going to be like just the 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 full honesty of what we really wish we could say here, but we're going to get to say there. So you have the open invite to drop in anytime you want. It is me and Jessamine, Heather Hullett, uh, Hannah Schroeder, and uh, Skyler. Oh, I'll be dropping in. I'll be it's, dropping it. It's it's great. You need to be a part of that. It is. I edit so much when we do the the roundtable episodes. I have it was three I, hours, the first one. And then usually it turns into, really? um, it, it turns into complete debauchery by about after the hour and a half mark. <laughs> Somebody brings up Pasifinos, and then Hannah goes oh, on a, a tangent about some some Pasifino that is. A million dollar Pasifino, and then Skyler's like, I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't know Pasifinos were worth that much. And then we're being completely sarcastic, and she's going. I thought straight they were worth eighty nine cents to the pound. I didn't. 
You might have to edit out. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm leaving that in. No, we're leaving it in. I've had... I've had one experience with Pasofinos and I was in California and if she listens to this podcast, she can stay mad at me. Um, so she, this lady had seven Pasofinos and a mini donkey and I had to help the hauler load them up on the trailer, all seven of these things and the donkey. I have never been run over, kicked, bitten, um, struck, just I have never been beat up so much in my entire life. And after all seven of these things were loaded up on the trailer, I had to physically pick up this mini donkey because it was so obese and just horrible. Just like, I'm sure she imported it from hell because this thing had its eyes on me and I literally picked up this thing up and shoved it in the trailer and we had to like lift it was one of those giant eight horse trailers that was like three in front three behind and then two in the middle and basically what I had to do was get this donkey on this trailer in the middle stall and while the guy was lifting up the gate to close them in I had to climb over the gate and jump out Meanwhile, these Pasofinos are trying to strike me and bite me like their ears are pinned with their eyes glued on me. They knew who I was. And then I get up to this. This lady lives about an hour away and I forgot to load her grain up on the trailer. And we get up there because I loaded the grain up on my truck and drove an hour um, into the mountains to give her her grain. And she goes, these these are they're still kind of wet from the trailer ride and I go wet she's like yeah they just sweat the entire time on the trailer ride and they're filthy and she never clipped them I think it was like February in California so it was like 50 degrees which is cold there and she's like what do you think I should do and I was a pro at the time I'm an okay horseman I know what to do and she had seven of these things and I go blanket them Bye. And I took off. Oh, my God. I said, blanket them, throw them in the barn, wish for the best. Goodbye. And she called the next day the barn owner and screamed at the barn owner because she goes, they only came with one lead rope. She only had one lead rope. And I had to run back and forth and get each Pasifino because we only had one lead rope. So this this endeavor was like, seven hours of my day and she just screamed at the barn manager and the barn owner and the barn owner goes I'll I'll, do you want me to Venmo you for new lead ropes or do you want me to send them to you she goes you can just send them to me and we never heard from the lady again I go thank god I'm I'm firmly convinced the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride Pasifinos yeah and you know you know Pasifinos are popular you know around the equator and that's because they are accustomed to the heat of hell when I got up to her house in the mountains, it was 30 degrees. She was mad that I didn't wash her horses beforehand. Like, I have a friend of mine, and she is hell-bent. And it's not Hannah. I have another friend of mine outside of Hannah that is – she is a Pasofino person. She loves them. She thinks that they can – or absolutely can do no wrong. They're a go-anywhere, do-anything type horse. Now, granted, she had one that was a pretty decent horse. That she did a lot of Gymkhana type stuff on. That horse excelled. Um Outside of that, uh, there's everyone I've ever run across. I would rather deal with Arabs all day long than Passos. 
I'm sorry, parents. Hannah. We we love you, Hannah. We do, and that is your personal choice for your breed of horse. We've all Flo likes thoroughbreds. There's people that like thoroughbreds. Jessamine likes what everything. do you like? Everything. I like Morgan. Except for fast females. <laughs> I beg you, I beg you to find fault in my choice. But anyway, the the <laughs> the the, 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 the See, I'm stuttering when I think about Pasifinos. Just, I just had such horrible experiences. I've had them get on the trailer and bust their heads open. Just walk on, produce please like, ooh, it's a trailer. Okay, yeah, I can do this. Bam, flipped over backwards. And I'm like, what? It was going good. You and were not scared of it a second ago. Something that I found about Pasifino people's, people, or all the things that I hate about Pasifinos are all the things they love. So it's not like they have a false conception of what they're like. They just really like that about them. Like, and I just don't understand that. But good for them. There's somebody for everybody, I guess. That's right. Have you ever noticed Pasifino people always marry other Pasifino people? That's because yeah. no one else can stand to be around them. Oh, Hannah. <laughs> sorry. I love you, Hannah. I'm sorry. I was planning on not doing a lot of editing. I'm not. I'm leaving it in. Leave it in. I'm going to leave it in. Hannah? Hannah knows I love her. Yeah, we all love Hannah. We all love her. She's not to listen to this episode. But in in Hannah's defense, though, um, she is well-versed in that breed. She can tell you every stallion, what it's worth, and what each horse can do, where each horse is from. And then I'm always... I always play the dummy, and every time she brings up Pasos, I usually say something about Peruvians and get right under her skin. That's the quickest way, quickest way to piss off Pasofina people. Just bring up Peruvians. I bet hers load in a trailer, though. Oh, yeah. I bet I bet <laughs> Hannah's. I bet, honestly, if we were to go out to Hannah's place with her Pasos, they would probably change our mind. Because Oh, I'm yeah. Sh- and I, re- I respect the heck out of Hannah because she is a Paso person. She deals with those horses every day and doesn't lose her sanity. So, like, that says something about her as a yeah. person and as a horseman. Like, she has to have a lot of patience, and she is more than happy to put up with the things that we get irritated with. So that just makes her probably a better person than us. That That's why I respect the hell out of Flo for the off-the-track therapy. Yes. So, well, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I, I it, it is a pleasure. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to having both of you together. And uh, I see somebody's got the barn kitty. So we get we 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 had the house pup and the barn kitty tonight. So, but thank you all so much for coming on. I appreciate. it. We definitely got to do it again. So and Flo, we got to get you on one of those roundtable episodes. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm just gonna go on and roast warm blood people because. Same. I'll be right there with you. Because <laughs> oh my god. We need to get a warm blood person in on this conversation though. Gotta get a warm like, blood in for the. You know fix. what the worst part is? I am a warm blood person. Me too. I have one and I loved him. And if I was doing what he excelled at, I would still have him. Well, I yeah, roast, that doesn't mean they're not overrated. Well, I roast I roast quarter horses a lot. And 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 what I do, I'm around quarter horses all the time. And it's not and I always say it's not because I dislike them. It's just there are faults, and I call those faults out, and specifically the people that are diehard hardliners toward something, and that that just never. Same way with people who are brand loyal toward vehicles. I've, I've never been one of those type of people. You are so full of it. Okay, I am brand loyal. Yeah, you are so full of it. Don't even go there, Mister Toyota. We don't we don't want to hear it. I, I like yeah. you know. 
I want I want the banger for my buck and the reliability. So I have crapped on a Toyotas. Yeah, I have a Dodge know. and I have a Ford. <laughs> well, um, I'm super excited to get together with you guys and have lunch in a couple weeks because absolutely that's gonna be, awesome. that's gonna be great. So I'm looking forward to it again. Flo Schmorgoner, Jessamine Rice, thank you so very much for coming on, and I look forward to having you again. Thank you so much. I really Thanks appreciate it. Me.